We have a great show for you this week. We're kicking things off with my special guest, Curtis Gladney, from the Why I Grind movement, and also he's the founder of Playbook Athlete Media Marketing. We're going to take a preview of the NBA Finals, the Miami Heat versus the Los Angeles Lakers. We're going to stay with basketball, and I'm going to talk about my Lakers paradox, my Laker fandom versus my LeBron non-fandom. We'll do some NHL talk, WNBA preview of their finals coming up as well. And then the NFL week three, what did we learn and what to watch for in week four, followed by the fix. And this week, umpires, refs, officials. Oh my. This week's special guest is Curtis Gladney. He started off in the Air Force then went into the nuclear industry before starting Playbook Athlete Media Marketing. We'll tell you a little bit more about that as well as the Why I Grind movement, which I think is so important for all of us to understand the why. You can find out more about them at playbook.store. They want to know why you grind. Share your thoughts, and while you're there, pick up a t-shirt. He is one of the founders of Playbook Athlete, which is a media marketing company, or at least that's how it started. But before we get into Playbook, I want a little bit about you. You're a military man, started in the Air Force. How do you go from that to the nuclear industry and now into, into Playbook Athlete? Very good. So uh, like you said, I was Air Force. Uh, I seen an opportunity to, uh, to answer the call. A lot of people answer and serve the country. Uh, back in 2004. Uh, before that, I was on the, law, the legal path. I was at NC State, uh, and I recognized law school was going to be very expensive. So I, I reached out to uh, a recruiter. He said, hey, come over here. We can pay for you. Uh, so I went in, did the Air Force thing, uh, communications by trade in the Air Force, uh, four years. Loved every second of it. A little Air Force plug right there. Good opportunity <laughs> if anybody out there looking for a change. Uh, but yeah, I did communications in there. Um, and I always had a passion for, for sports. I was the, uh, I guess you could say the smaller guy. All my friends, they were all big. Everybody played sports, basketball, football, and I was just the guy kind of hanging around. So I always had the passion for it. Uh, left the Air Force in 2008. Uh, and then at that time, uh, like I said, I was technical in the Air Force, so I ended up in the nuclear industry. Uh, still had the passion going about, you know, getting out and helping uh, athletes uh, get their passion. Uh, so that's how I kind of started Playbook Athlete, trying to, uh, you know, empower and brand athletes around 2011. Uh, so it was, it was a good opportunity, very uh, advertising to a lot of um, athletes because, you know, uh, as with my friends, they thought that, hey, if I just dribble a basketball, I throw a football and I do good, Nick Saban's going to come find me. Uh, well, that's not the case. Uh, so we, we recognize that uh, you got to brand yourself. You got to get out there. Nick Saban's got to know about you uh, to, for him to even have an opportunity to come look at you. Right, uh, right. Which is, I lost concept with a lot of guys. They think that he'll find you. No, he's got to – he finds the top 100 players. That's because uh, rivals and everybody writes about those guys. But what about the other uh, 7,980,000? Right. That's what we – and we try to uh, uh, brand those guys, give them the opportunity, give them exposure. We hook up with a lot of the top trainers around the country, Brad Arnett out in Waukesha, Wisconsin, uh, Dwight Johnson in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Boo Mitchell, all those guys. So – we, they come to our network and we give the athlete, athletes uh, a platform. We can't, I can't shoot the ball for them. I can't run the touchdown for them, but I can put them in uh, circles where they can get exposure from it. And, and that's what we do. So, so what uh, are, 
what are some of the concepts that like, so I come to you and I say, Hey, I, I'm a basketball player. Um, I don't think I'm getting enough exposure because listen, I'm not top tier, but I still think I, I could get a, a scholarship. Let's say, what are some of the things you say, okay, well, here's what we need to put together first. How does that planning process start? So uh, the world is, is digital now. And uh, just back up of, of, of a few years, I'll say a few years, but the world used to be, uh, you got to pop a video in and uh, it was VHS, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Th those days are gone. Uh, and that's where the coaches are. The coaches are on those platforms like Twitter and uh, the social media. So first we will make sure those guys are established on social media to give those guys uh, their own platform. And then, like I said, so we would take those guys and uh, introduce them to the, the other worlds in the platform and, and, and give those guys a name for themselves. Because traditionally kids are saying like, you know, hey, um, the, the, the piece, well, let me, let me back up a little. The piece that the athletes were missing was that connection with the college coaches. And really it's through the trainers because, you know, the trainers are the ones that get those guys prepared to get to that next level. So we make that connection with the trainers. So when you started Playbook, it was 2011. A lot has changed, right? Digitally, social media since 2011. I don't think people realize how fast this has kind of become a thing. How do you keep your athletes from, because social can be scary, right? How do you keep them from doing something that'll hurt their stock? You know, by saying something, do you guys control that or do you just kind of manage them and coach them on, hey, he, here are the things that you should probably stay away from? Or do you say, hey, be yourself and let them know the true you? So there, there's a problem with the true you because the true you is when you get in trouble on social media. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing we do, and we preach it in all of our videos and we sit down with the athletes and with the coaches that, hey, when you send a tweet, when you send a, a post or when you like a video, that says something about you. Yeah. And even uh, remove the sports world, if you're applying to uh, Everyday America, they're looking at what you got on social media now. You send a resume, but then they put your name in Google and they see everything that you got on there. So uh, a lot of what we do is the education piece of it because uh, the coaches are saying they want to know the athlete off the field and, and what you post on social media is really who you are off the field. So right. it matters. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we want the athlete to be themselves. I mean, and they should, but to a degree, you got to understand there's a professional aspect of it too that is very important to the athlete getting to that next level. Yeah, those things you post are there forever and not all of them age well, right? So you got, you got to be a little bit careful. Absolutely. All right, so that's fantastic. And I know that's how it started, right? And that's, you know, giving a platform for those, for those uh, student athletes and getting them seen by maybe where they wouldn't have been seen before. But now you've kind of transitioned playbook. And now it's not just about athletes. We're talking to everybody. And you've started something that, I, you know, I messaged you and I told you, I, I love what you're doing, the Why I Grind movement. So tell everybody a little bit more about that, how, how the transition happened, why it happened, and kind of what are we doing moving forward? So I can almost in my head see the date that I seen the playbook transition. And we used to take about 50 athletes to Waukesha, Wisconsin to train with Brad Arnett. And uh, he's, a, he's a top trainer in Wisconsin, trains with J.J. Watt and all those guys. Um, but Brad would always say, hey, listen, I, I see what you can do on the field, but we want to know who you are off the field. And he would always say, why? And then, you know, go around the country, somebody said, why do you do what you do? Why is it that you get up at five in the morning and do two a days and all this good stuff? Why? Why is it that you do it? And so, boom, the Why I Grind movement was born. And, and, and you're right. It, it started out when we were with athletes, but we quickly realized that, you know, as we were asking the athletes, 
the parents were answering the question. The parents were saying that, hey, I'm doing this because I want my son to have a better opportunity. I'm doing this for my family. Well, then you turn the camera to the parents and say, well, why do you? And, and that's why it, it kind of just caught like wildfire. And we realized that when you can answer that question, I don't, I don't care if you're, if you're Tom Brady, I don't care if you're pushing a broom at you know, some company, Fortune 500 company, everybody has a why. And when you can understand that why, well, then you'll know that it's within you to carry on. And it's really empowering to know that everything that you need to be better, to be, to be great, to even carry on is within you. You just have to tap into it and really understand the why behind what it is that you do. So it's, it's, it's really inspiring, it's, 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 it's generational, and it's, it's taking over, it's catching like wildfire. And you know, I, I have a shirt on that says purpose, and you know, I want my purpose to matter. And so it, it, it's all about that, and like we have uh, the campaign, and, and it's so funny, if you were talking to one of our athletes now, you know, he was like, hey, hey Curtis, before my why was to you know, score touchdowns. That's not a why. That's almost a because. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're 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 doing it for a bigger a bigger reason. So it's really asking the athletes and everybody to dig deep and find out what that why is. And when you have that, well, then you really got something. Yeah, because the easy one is well, why I'm doing it for a paycheck. But why do you right. need that paycheck, right? I need to take care of my family. I need to do this. I need to do that. And that's what I loved about what you were doing. It's because the person, you know, that's like you said, that Tom Brady, that's Cam Newton, that, and we'll get to Cam Newton in a minute, uh, that Cam Newton, that superstar athlete, right, works j as hard, obviously, but also, you know, that single mom working two jobs works just as hard as those guys, if not harder sometimes. Why is she doing it? You know, Absolutely. why am I doing it? Why are you doing it? I think that's what really inspired me to have this conversation with you because I, I love the movement and um, why I grind. We're going to get into football here in a second because I know you're a Carolina Panthers fan. But first, I want to—I think it's important. Where can uh, people find you, Playbook Athlete, and and the Why I Grind movement? So we're we're at Playbook Athlete on all platforms: Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Uh, the hashtag on all platforms also is hashtag Why I Grind. Uh, the store where you can find the shirts: we're at Playbook Store. So playbook.store, you can find the apparel. And listen, don't just buy the apparel. That's not what we want. Listen, we want to sell shirts. We love it. But we want to hear the why. So buy the shirt. Find us on the platform once you get it. And tweet it. Uh, send us on Instagram. Send us your why. That's what we want. Because we want to empower others through your empowerment. So yeah, at Playbook Athlete on everything, hashtag why I grind. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you mine because mine's family, why I grind, because I got six-year-old twins and I need to take care of them and I want them to have a great life. And I'm telling you, once my shirt comes in, um, I'll be wearing it on the show as well because I think this is really important what you're doing. So Absolutely. now we're going to switch gears a little bit because okay. we, we're, both, we're both in a situation where we're football fans and our teams aren't – well, my team's actually doing well this year, but typically not right. that great. So you, I want to know how you go. Because right now you're living in North Carolina, you're in North Carolina, and you're a Carolina Panthers fan. So I need right. to ask, how do you go from a Cowboy fan to a Panthers fan? And then we'll talk a little bit about the Panthers and that huge mistake at quarterback. <laughs> oh, it's funny. So you know, I was I was Troy Aikman, you know Jay Novacek, and all those guys, Emmitt Smith, and and this is before Carolina had a football team. So when I was a, I had my room painted Cowboys blue, I had all that good stuff. And then you know in 1995 they dropped the team in Charlotte. And I'm a home team. I, I rep the home team. I'm, I'm North Carolina born and bred. So once they dropped that home team, you know, uh, I had to go with them. And so I've been riding with those guys. And, 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 and mind you, at that same time, Dallas made some decisions, got rid of uh, Jimmy Johnson. Uh, I, I didn't like that. Yeah. I remember seeing 
I remember seeing the commercial where uh, Jimmy arrived in Miami and he took the Cowboys helmet and threw it. And, uh, and I was like, okay, I can, I can go since we got rid of Jimmy. They would have won a lot more Super Bowls had they kept Jimmy Johnson. Uh, but you know what? I'll probably get shut down if I say anything bad about Jerry Jones because he controls everything. But yes, I, I'm with you on that on that move. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So now here I am in Carolina. Uh, we've had some great been, been Super Bowl twice. Uh, didn't 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 go in our way either way those times. But uh, I'm loving it. This this year is. I know you got some questions about this year, but uh, it is what it is now. So we got to make the most of it with what we got going on in Carolina. Yeah, look, from the outside, I remember, you know, when the offseason and they signed Teddy Bridgewater and I said, hey, that's a good, he's a good quarterback, right? I don't think he's a great quarterback. I think that injury really, I think he was on the verge of greatness before that horrific injury in uh, Minnesota, I think. And, and I, the question always was, what is Cam going to be if healthy, right? And can he stay healthy? And, you know, the Patriots picked him up for next to nothing. And great, granted, we're two games in, but he looks great. You know, phenomenal. Yeah, so if he doesn't get hurt and goes through the season, Carolina, I'm sure Panther fans are going to be kicking themselves a little bit, but there's no way you could have known he'd come back like that. He, he could have just as easily gotten hurt in the first game um, and not played again. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough one, right? I've got issues at quarterback. I'm a Bears fan, so, hey, we're 2-0, and but I'm still feeling a little uneasy. I also understand what you're talking about because as I, watching, I'm a football fan and a huge basketball fan. And my team growing up as a kid was the Lakers because I'm, I'm in Toronto. And we didn't have a team then, obviously, either. And you literally, everyone I knew was either a Celtics fan or a Laker fan. And I kind of like, I don't really like, uh, this is how I pick my team. I don't really like green. So I became a Lakers fan. And, and I was a Lakers fan for a long time. And I still am, I think, kind of somewhere deep down inside. But Toronto got a team, I think right around 95 as well. I think it was around the same time as the Panthers. And I've just been a Raptors fan. So obviously got rewarded last year. Not so great this year, but I understand what you're saying. It's that home team. You got to, you kind of, I yeah. think it's okay to jump off that bandwagon and move to your home team when, when it's a new team coming in. So right. I, I'm with you there. Um, any parting shots? It was great talking with you. Um, remember to check out for everybody to check out Playbook Athlete and PlaybookAthlete.store. Curtis, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. The NBA finals are upon us. And honestly, with COVID, with Kobe, we didn't know what the season would hold. January was traumatic. March was even worse. And we didn't know if basketball would return. But they created a bubble in Orlando. And as much as there were still concerns, they somehow made it work. They didn't have fans, yet there was intensity. The games have been entertaining and exciting. The players have gone up for games and have really shown their love and passion for the sport of basketball. I'm so excited and I'm so happy that they got to play these games. Also, there was some big upsets in the playoffs. We assumed at the beginning of this that it would be Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, and probably Raptors or Celtics to depending on what side of the world you lived on. But three of those four teams didn't make it. The Lakers are the sole survivors of the favorites, and they're in the final. The Clippers are gone. They've fired their coach, and there's big changes happening on the other team in L.A. The Bucks have huge question marks. Is Giannis going to stay? He's got one more year left on his contract. Do they make a move? And 
try to retool the team, or do they bring pieces back to Milwaukee to work around him? The Raptors have some huge decisions to make in free agency with Fred Van Vliet, Serge Ibaka, Marcus Saul. Do they extend uh, Lowry, who is going to be in his last year of his contract? Is Siakam able to take that next step forward? OG Ananobi, can he take the next step forward? What pieces can they bring in or send out? The Celtics look prime and ready as a very young team to take that next step. Do they need to add a piece or move a piece out, addition by subtraction, and that maturity and learning what it takes to win in the playoffs? Can they take that next step next year? A lot of questions came out of these this round of the playoffs, and we're left with two teams, the Los Angeles Lakers and who I told you. Now, I did pick them. I'll be honest. I didn't pick them to make the final, but I told you coming in. The Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler are the scariest team in the bubble. Well, why did I say that? So we'll start with them. The reason I said it is you have a veteran, very capable point guard, uh, Goran Dragic, running the point. He can score. He can pass. play a little bit of defense. And he's tough. He's probably a few years older than you'd want him to be, but he can still flat out play. Obviously, Jimmy Butler... And I've said this for years, He's hasn't been the problems. Not in Chicago, not in Minnesota, not in Philadelphia. All he has done is voice the truth. Now, it's kind of painted him in the bad light, but he's a solid two-way player. Bam, uh, Bam Adebayo is ridiculous and only getting better by the game as he gets his confidence in. This might be the only team that actually can give the Lakers and really push the Lakers if, and these are big ifs, if they're playing, firing on all cylinders. Can they get some scoring from Duncan Robinson, from Tyler Hero? These are all guys that will need to step up. Will or can Andre Iguodala go back three or four years and be a pest and give LeBron James, look, he's not going to stop LeBron, but can he slow him down enough to make it difficult? And to, um, Anthony Davis is a solid superstar. He People call him the X factor, but that's just ridiculous. When you're the best player on the team, no offense, LeBron, when you're the best player on your team, you're not the X factor. You're the best player on your team. If you want to argue with me, fine. He's 1A, 1B with LeBron. It's the other players that are going to make the difference. Can we continue to see playoff Rondo? Can Danny Green hit some threes? Is Kyle Kuzman still in the bubble? That's a big question mark. Those are the guys. Dwight, can Dwight Howard continue to play crazy but controlled basketball? Will he bother Bam? Will he bother some of the players, other players on the Heat? Will he get inside their heads? I don't think he will, but that obviously remains to be seen. Can they do that? Can, the question that I've been asked, and I've been asked this about five times today alone is, can the Heat beat the Lakers? Yeah, anything is possible. They are in a situation where they've got a lot of things on their side. They've got good shooting, good defense, a really, really good and maybe undervalued, underestimated coach in Eric Spolstra. Um, and, And they have all the tools that it would take. So can they? Yes. Will they? Well, that's another story. 
when you have LeBron James, you're pretty much guaranteeing yourself a you know a shot at the finals. Anthony Davis is like I said, if he keeps hitting game big shots in games, the moment isn't too big for him. The spotlight is not too bright. I think that they take this series. I think it's going to be harder than people give them credit for. I don't think it's going to go five. I think it's, look, I honestly think it's going to go six. Not that that's a long series. But I think you're going to see, you know, Rondo's getting up there. I think you're going to see really good series from Rondo. I think Danny Green's shooting comes back around a little bit. And they'll give them, and uh, the other pieces on the Lakers bench, give them just enough, right, support that LeBron and Anthony Davis need to get through this series. So what to look for in this series? Look for the X factors, right? Look for a Rajon Rondo's defense and surprisingly some scoring. Look for a Dion Waiters maybe to make a little bit of an appearance from the Lakers, but look for LeBron to do his thing. Look for Anthony Davis. Both are going to average between 25 and 30 points a game. They're going to get you some rebounds. They're going to get you, you know, LeBron's going to, probably get two or three triple doubles um, and we probably take it for granted, but it's going to be too much for the, for the heat. I think the heat are, I don't want to say they're a piece away. They might, you know, but they might just be a piece away from beating this Lakers team. And I hope they keep it together and come back next year, but look for the Lakers in six. Let me know what you think. I have what I call a Lakers paradox. Now, it's been easier because my Laker fandom started in the 80s. Growing up in Toronto, you if you watched basketball, most look, most of the kids growing up were big hockey fans. They were watching, they were Leafs, they were uh, Boston Bruin fans, they were Montreal Canadian fans, but it was all about hockey. For me, however, I took a different course when it came to sports, and I was a huge NFL football fan and NBA basketball fan. And in those days, you really cheered for two teams. You were either a Celtics fan or a Lakers fan. And as silly as this sounds, and you've heard me say it before in other episodes, but the only reason I chose the Lakers then was because I didn't like the color green. As silly as that sounds, and I'm over that now, I actually love the color now. However, you know, as a young kid, That was my thing. I was like, I don't really like their colors. I'm going with the Lakers. Fair enough. But I became a fan and continue to be a fan. And why I say it's eased up in the last few years is obviously being in in Toronto. We got the Raptors. And, you know, I started to root for my home team as one normally would. I also lived in L.A. So I kind of bounced back and forth and kind of call them my East Coast, West Coast teams. And I'm, I'm okay with that. And you can argue with me about that at another time. But here's my paradox. So I love my Lakers. I want my Lakers to win. I want them to win championships every single year. I was a huge Magic Johnson fan. I was a huge Shaq, Kobe, anyone who became a Laker, anyone who wore the purple and gold was my guy. The problem is, and where the paradox comes in, is that I'm not a LeBron guy. And it's not anything personal. I don't know the man. In fact, From everything I hear, he's a good, upstanding, well-spoken, charitable, nice person. And and all of that is great. I love it. It's fantastic. And I 
people ask me to explain why I'm not a, a LeBron fan. And and guys, this is from day one. This is as he came out of high school. This isn't, you know, people say he's phenomenal. And he was, but I just, I didn't, it wasn't me. I just, I don't know what it was. I just didn't become a fan of LeBron. I can appreciate his talents. I think he's one of, not the, but he is one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game. The fact that he's still playing at such a high level is a testament to what a great player, what a great athlete LeBron James is. Was it the decision? Yeah, that didn't help. Is it the the King James before he was even in the NBA? Perhaps. Um, but there's all these little basketball things that I, you know, maybe I did just strike what it might be. You know, when I see a player get a phantom elbow, like I mean two inches away from your face, and you flop to the ground like you've been shot, maybe it's my old school basketball mentality. I just, I don't like it. Complaining about calls, complaining about the refs, complain. I just, it's not the kind of thing that I like. Now, it's the you know the days of free agency and players switch teams all the time. I get it, but I really didn't like the way he left Cleveland. And I get into this argument all the time about, well, if he doesn't go to Miami, right? If he doesn't join D. Wade and Chris Bosh, does he win a championship in Cleveland? Now, the argument against is, well, yeah, yeah, he won a championship in Cleveland. Well, yeah, he did. However, the only reason... And listen, history may have been different had he stayed, but the only reason Cleveland won a championship, let's be clear, is one, they had LeBron James, who was the best player in the league, obviously, at the time, but also because he left to Miami and that organization was so poorly run, finishing in last place and getting the first overall pick twice, that was able to land them Kyrie Irving and then Andrew Wiggins, which they traded um, for Kevin Love. You know, and then look at their other first round pick, Anthony Bennett. Like they're not you can't go looking at Cleveland saying, hey, they're just they they hit bullseyes on every draft and in free agency. So the reality of it is, would they have been able to put enough good quality pieces as salary cap strapped as they were trying to put these veterans around LeBron James to get him to win a uh, to win a championship? Or would they just continually have been just enough? to help him or for him to carry a team into the finals, into the finals, and actually never win a championship. It's quite, if you go back and look at all the players that kind of came through Cleveland and what happened while he was in Miami, it's an interesting kind of look at LeBron James. But I'm not here to debate his greatness or his his ability. He's gone nine times to the finals. He's won three times. I'm just not a fan. Again, appreciate his greatness. I think he's one of the greatest of all time. But I can't say that I root for him to win. And that's where my paradox begins and ends. Because I'm cheering for the Lakers, but I'm not cheering for their best player or their second best player, uh, LeBron James. It's quite an interesting finals for me. I I really like the Miami Heat. I like the way that they play basketball. I love Pat Riley. I think it's going to be difficult for me. So I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to enjoy. I'm hoping that the Lakers win so that they can tie the Celtics for most championships because historically that's something that I look at as well. 
but it's tough. So let me know your thoughts. Are you a Laker fan? Are you a LeBron fan? Are you both? Are you one or the other? Like, have you become a Laker fan because of LeBron? Or have you become a LeBron fan because he's a Laker now? Let me know. Send me your thoughts, Anthony K at sportsfluent.com. So much going on in the world of sports today. It's sometimes tough to know where to start. We just had the Tampa Bay Lightning crowned as the NHL Stanley Cup champions. And for most, it didn't come as a surprise because they were the favorites. They were the best team throughout the regular season, pre-COVID. They were the best team when they returned. They've been the best team throughout the playoffs. They have one of the best offenses in the league, one of the best defenses in the league, and one of the best goalies in the league. And yet, we wanted to put, or some people want to put, this asterisk asterisk on anything bubble-related. Ah, it's not the same. There's no home ice advantage. Yeah, you're probably right. But let's give some credit where credit is due. A team that was put together and was the best team in the regular season, and they play about 60 games, and then they have to take months off because of a global pandemic, and then they're thrown into a bubble where they're basically playing everything as a road game with no fans in the stands to then just pick up where they left off and continue to play dominant hockey and take that right through to the playoffs and win the Stanley Cup. If there's an asterisk besides their, their name, it's to say they had it tougher than any other Stanley Cup champion before. And so tip of the cap and congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning and their win. There's two other teams that are looking to win a championship in the next week or so, and that's in the Florida Wubble, where the WNBA Las Vegas Aces will play against the Seattle Storm. I kind of say this every week when I talk WNBA. I might be a little bitter, but my LA Sparks didn't make it. However, the team that I think had the best chance, if not the Sparks, was the Seattle Storm. The Aces, however, are an interesting story. They play a fun style of basketball, and they finish the season really strong. And although uh, Connecticut took them five games, they're still, you know, I think going to challenge Seattle in the finals and look for this series to really go the distance. However, I think Seattle just has too much talent too much star power, and obviously veteran leadership that I think it's going to be too much for the Aces. And I'm looking forward to crowning and congratulating the Seattle Storm when they win the WNBA championship. Week three in the NFL was another crazy topsy-turvy week. It seems like the offenses, which we thought were going to be slow to adapt and get to know each other, not having, you know, kind of the full OTAs and any uh, preseason games, they would be slower to pick it up because defenses typically are, are ahead of offenses. But we've seen the complete opposite. For the Through the first three weeks of the NFL season, there's never been a higher scoring start to an NFL season. So the offenses are on pace to break some records. However, what did we learn from week three? Let's start with the bad, because these are really bad. We learned that the Atlanta Falcons 
stop playing football after the third quarter. And I'm sorry to Dan Quinn. I think you're a good coach, but you're clearly not a great coach because coaching when you have a lead and keeping that lead, as much as I look at the players always, that's coaching. And to lose huge leads, you know, it was one thing to lose it in the Super Bowl, although that's probably the biggest loss, but to Dallas and then Chicago in back-to-back weeks when you had that big of a lead, it's just, it's it's unexcusable. It's unforgivable. And I, I apologize to the Atlanta Falcon fans who had to see this because it's bad fourth quarter football. And this is a team that should be easily 2-0, and uh, sorry, 2-1, and if not 3-0 and this season because they are better than what they're playing. But as bad as Atlanta Falcons' fourth quarters have been, the New York Jets's the New York Jets all quarters have been horrible. I posted on uh, Instagram and and Twitter after the games on Sunday. Follow us sports underscore fluent. I posted that it looks like there's some coaching positions coming up, and I didn't mention and I mentioned Atlanta Dan Quinn and the New York Jets Adam Gase. These guys, we need to move on. Whether the team has stopped listening, you forgot how to coach, you're focused on COVID, I don't know what's going through your minds, but changes are needed on both those teams. The Jets have, and they're missing out on some prime years of a good quarterback in Sam Darnold. Obviously, Le'Veon Bell now is hurt, but they didn't do much with him last year or the first game this year anyways. And I don't think he just became a horrible running back when he left Pittsburgh. Obviously, offensive line and some schemes have something to do with it. But you got to know how to use a player like Le'Veon Bell. To the last of the bad, and we'll get to some good as well, but to the last of the bad, when you have your practice squad, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and some defensive players playing for the San Francisco 49ers, and they still dominate the New York Giants like 36 to 9. There's something severely wrong with the Giants. I told you I was not a huge fan of the Joe Judge hire. I told you I really didn't like their roster. And unless they're tanking, looking for something in the draft next year, changes need to be made for the G-Men because they're looking horrible to the good. And... I don't even want to call them good. The great. The Kansas City Chiefs have zero Super Bowl hangover. They look better, more in tuned, more in sync than ever. And as they're playing right now, I, I get we're only three weeks in, but they are head and shoulders above the rest. They make Baltimore a really, really, really good team look like JV. On Monday Night Football, they made Lamar Jackson, the league's MVP, look like he was lost. It it was it was a beautiful game if you're a Kansas City fan to watch, but the rest of the league should be on alert unless they falter or everybody else really steps up. You might as well just give them their Super Bowl rings now because they look they looked that dominant um, in Week Three. The other one, and this was. This is one that I, I I love. I love this stat line. I rarely talk stats on this show. You know, I talk some stats um, on Wednesday nights at 9.30 when we do Sports Fluent uh, NFL Fantasy Live. 
But Mike Evans, who, you know, historically has been, he gets a lot of receptions, gets a lot of yards, gets a few touchdowns, had the stat line of the week, two receptions, two yards, two touchdowns. As a fantasy owner, you might not love the yards and the receptions if you're a PPR, but what a stat line. I think that's one for the ages. Uh, I just, I love that one. Um, What else did we learn? We learned that there's, you know, we need to be very careful because there's been a lot of injuries in the NFL. We, you know, we learned that uh, Chicago really pulled the trigger very quickly on Mitch Trubisky. And maybe the plan always was to bring in Nick Foles. But I think we can all agree, we all believe that would have been later in the season. The Buffalo Bills are for real. Kind of got bailed out with a bit of a pass interference call there late in the fourth quarter. But still, Josh Allen looks really good as an MVP candidate. The Rams are looking good. There's a lot of teams. Seattle. Oh, we didn't even talk about Seattle. Russell Wilson making uh, his claim for the MVP this year. Uh, Seattle's looking very dominant. Uh, some teams off to some slow starts. Kind of said to you over the last, you know, last week and the week before, I said, don't, not to say don't pay too much attention to w- these first couple of weeks, but really these are still kind of the preseason games and you're going to start to see, right? I told you that the good teams will start to separate themselves from the bad teams. So we've already seen who are the, those good teams, right? The, the Chiefs are going to be really good. Seattle's going to be really good. San Francisco um, with their backups, backups. Um, are going to be really good this year. We know the Giants, the Jets are going to be really bad this year. Um, sorry, to New York and New Jersey. So we're starting to see just a, an amazing NFL season unfolding. Of course, now they've got to throw a wrench into it here, and we now have some COVID cases, um, and there's going to be some games that might have to be postponed or moved. Timing, right? We'll see how testing goes Uh before Sundays, uh, Thursdays and Sundays and Monday nights matchups. Uh, a game might have to get pushed maybe even to Tuesday. Let's hope that this is the worst of it and they can find a way to keep their players kind of isolated and safe so we can get through the whole season of the NFL because it's turning out to be one of the most exciting seasons we've seen in a long time. Now for the fix. I haven't talked about officiating in a long time. It's been, I want to say, a year or two, um, definitely two years ago when the Saints um, got robbed of that playoff win with that pass interference no call. But I thought this would be a time to bring it up again because I've noticed not as much in the NFL as of yet, but I'm still seeing glimpses of it. Definitely in baseball with balls and strikes, that's always going to be something that drives me nuts. Why does that drive me nuts? Because every umpire has a different strike zone, which is preposterous. This is a professional sport being played by grown men getting paid millions and millions of dollars, and you don't know where each umpire's strike zone will be based on any given day. To the NBA... We've never seen, or I've never seen, so much whining, so much complaining, so much flopping by players that can influence refs' decisions. And for those that just look at the end of the game and say, well, look, free throws are right around the same, it's all... No. No. Stop it. Stop it. That's not true. Just because free throws might be 
fairly equal in a game, that has not as much to do with the officiating of the game as you think. Because there's so many fouls that are called that are non-shooting fouls. They are situational fouls where, you know, a best the best player on the team gets two or three quick fouls in the first quarter, first half, kind of phantom calls sometimes that takes them out of the game and completely changes the complexity and the dynamic of that game. And I'm not, listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that there's refs who are favoring one team or another, or it's fixed. I'm not saying that, although this segment is called the fix. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they get influenced too easy. The games are too fast. The players are too big and too strong and too fast for any team of two refs or three refs or umpires to really catch all the nuances of the game. Now, I'm not saying call everything. In fact, I'd rather they didn't call everything because it just slows down the game and it makes it boring. No, what I'm asking for is consistency. If a foul is a foul is a foul, then it's a foul one minute into the game. It's a foul with one second left in the game. And if it's a foul when you do it to one player, it is when you do it to another player. The idea, these, it's kind of like baseball's unwritten rules or, oh, he got a superstar call. No, no. If he's a superstar or she's a superstar, then they probably already have some advantages because they are just, they work harder. They're more gifted athletically. I don't know what the reason is. They've got more mental fortitude. There's a reason that the, the player is a superstar ready. We don't need to give them calls as well. I'm looking for consistency here. So how can we fix some bad officiating? Well, one of the things that drives me nuts is calls that are wrong or that are obviously wrong. And unless you challenge it or it goes into this long, drawn-out replay process, it doesn't get overturned fast enough and it changes the flow of the game. So how can we fix it? Again, here's the easy solution. One, tennis has the technology that they know when a ball is in or out instantaneously. The tech there is phenomenal. And it can be used similarly in baseball for balls and strikes. Now, I'm not suggesting take the base judges or the umps out of the game. I think they're an integral part. However, having an earpiece plugged into them so whenever they're not sure or to help with or to correct them when they're wrong as to not embarrass them, right, in front of the other players, the other coaches, the crowd, right, it'd be good to have that person in their ear helping them along the process. And what do I mean by embarrassing them? I, I get it. I'm a ref. I make a call. And if it's egregious that I need to then go and watch a replay of it, I'm siding on my own, right, to say, well, if it's close, I'm going with what my call was. You know, you hear it all the time. Well, the call on the field, right, if there's no 100% evidence that it's the other way, it's the call on the field stands. Yeah, because you don't want to embarrass the ref. However, you have the technology and you have the people that you can have these boots. And I've talked about this about football before, but I think you can incorporate it into every sport where you have a booth ref or two who are watching the, the play as it happens right away and they're replaying right away and they're in communication with the on the field refs and judges. And look, if it's so obvious that anyone can see it, a quick call down and say, hey, 
This is the call, boom, correct it. No need for replay, no, no need for a long drawn out process. Now you can still have your challenges, right? There's still plays that are bang, bang plays as they say, or where you can't see certain camera angles. Great. However, just think of all the plays that we could get right. And at the end of the day, that's what you want, right? You want, you want the right call, whether you're a fan of the team or not, you want the right call to be called. It'll speed up the flow of the game. You can get through things a lot quicker. There'll be less replays because if you're a coach and it's a 50-50 ball and you know that the ref on the field called it one way and they've been in communication with someone watching replays constantly up in the booth who've said, yeah, that's the right call, you're good to go, the likelihood is it's probably not going to get overturned. You're a lot less likely to challenge that. Again, there could be some exceptions. So for baseball, for hockey, uh, right, for offsides, that should be a given, boom, right away, you know whether that is or not. Um, baseball, hockey, football, basketball, there's all those little, you know, the out-of-bounds plays where they have to, you know, pick up the screen and turn it around and they have to go to the press booth and sit there and watch it over and over again, you know, a million different times just to know that, hey, I saw that guy tipped it out, like it's pretty clear. Um, there's, it could be done much quicker up in the booth and just call down the play. So please, please, the umpires, the refs, and the officials, oh my. That's it for this week's episode of Sports Fluent. Remember to subscribe uh, to our channel, Sports Fluent, on YouTube. Check out the website at sportsfluent.com. Merchandise coming soon. And remember to follow us on social, Instagram and Twitter, sports underscore fluent. Until next week, are you fluent? <laughs>